Hello everyone, this is Marcel Reyes and welcome to episode 3 of the Revealing Ourselves podcast. In today's podcast, you're going to be speaking with Andrew Pereira, a 27-year-old risk analyst from Brazil who has lived and experienced the cultures of four different continents. You may like this episode if you're interested in learning more about being a lone wolf versus a group pleaser, how to get out of your comfort zone, why Andrew picked New Zealand for his first international trip, and what happens if you're unemployed in Switzerland. Andrew, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm very well, myself. Thanks for asking. And also, thanks for having me here. I'm very glad to be here, and I would like to apologize in advance for my English. I hope that your listeners can understand me well throughout our conversation. I'm sure our listeners are going to be delighted to hear your voice, and I'm sure your English is going to be absolutely fine. So, Andrew, I think I think a very good way for us to start our conversation, and something that I've been wanting to do also for the next episodes of the Revealing Ourselves podcast, is to start with a very open-ended question. And my question is, what would you like to reveal about yourself? Uh, so what I would like to reveal about myself is more related to my whole life. I mean, like the travels that, I, that I've made, the choices that I've made to, to my professional career, and also the way that I try to choose better to which path that I could follow for my education. And then also to try to do my best in all the aspects of my life. So I think that I, I want to reveal that for your listeners. Awesome. I'm very happy and, and I'm very excited to do that. And you mentioned travels being one of the first things on your answer. Um, have you traveled a lot in life? I know you lived in three different countries and I think that's fantastic by itself. Four different countries if you consider your home country Brazil, right? How has that experience been for you to be able to travel so much and live abroad? When did that start? Uh, until I was uh, 17 years old, I just traveled in Brazil because mm -hmm. uh, as you know for sure uh, Brazil is a big place and and mostly because my father he, he usually we usually move around with him my whole family between Rio and Sao Paulo and then when I was just finishing my college I passed the exam to the university to the public university yeah and as I entered in the public university I was like my father didn't have to pay uh, for a private university for me so he gifted me with a travel abroad so this was uh, a big experience for me and I was kind of crazy because I chose a place that was the farthest from Brazil, that was New Zealand. So imagine a guy, <laughs> 17 years old, uh, never traveled abroad, uh, never spoke English with anyone abroad, you know, just, wow. yeah. uh, you know, like the courses that we have here in Brazil. And I went to New Zealand that was like 18 I think it was 18 hours of flight. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and so, why, why did you yeah. pick that country? Why was that your first choice? Yeah, so uh, this was kind of fun because, first of all, I was thinking of a country that I couldn't see any Brazilian. So I could improve <laughs> okay. my English, you know? I was like, yeah. uh, what, what's the furthest country that speaks English, that I can improve mm. my English, and that has no Brazilians? I, I, I was... I, I imagine you, you think about that. Yeah. I imagine you heard the stories that sometimes when Brazilians travel abroad, they tend to stay with Brazilians and not practice their English as much because exactly. they speak Portuguese, and you wanted to avoid that, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, because you know, like 
it's something that is natural, you know, like you you are with someone that has the same background as you and you would like to go to parties with them to speak in your native language, which is a comfort zone, you know. Yeah. And in my life, I, I always think about getting out of my comfort zone. Uh, mm -hmm. I learned that because of of the of the moving around back and forth between São Paulo and Rio, I learned that by myself for that because normally I had to make new friends when I went to São Paulo and then when I go back to Rio I had to make another new friendship with some other people and also yeah. new houses. So you know, like I like to link that as well with my travel because uh, it's something that I learned. You know, like to try to be out of your comfort zone, you can prove much, much more some parts of your personality and language and everything else. So yeah, uh, yeah, it was crazy like that. So growing up, you had to adapt and get out of your comfort zone because your friends' groups were always changing, right? Was that what you're exactly. saying? Yeah, exactly. So normally, what I found myself Uh, usually getting to a new school and then, you know, like everyone is already in a group and you see this guy that is a new guy to the school. And I try always to talk with everyone. So what I learned from that experience is that uh, actually it became a part of my personality that I don't like to stay at groups. I like to mm. talk with everyone. But most of my uh, life, I, I like to have some specific persons from each group you know so yeah. i mean like even even our our friendship for example uh, yeah i know that like you have a group that there are some guys there that i'm not friend with you mm -hmm. know and i'm mm -hmm. friend with you so uh so that's uh, that's kind of funny so i have normally i have this kind of each each group i have one one big friend so it's normally like that yeah it's funny because I, I haven't moved around like you when I was young, but I do feel the same way. I, I, was, I, I never felt that I belonged in a particular group. I think the only group that I really felt like that I belonged was the people from my condo when I was very young, like eight years old, seven years old, right? Like playing soccer with your friends at the, at the court in, in the same building. But going to like middle school, high school, it, I kind of always felt I would rather you know, have some friends, but not be fully engaged in a group. Why do you think that is important? Like, why do you think that that was part of yourself versus joining groups? Yeah, so I think that is quite important. Uh, I think that is a big difference you see from us Brazilians and hmm. other uh, nations uh, regarding to that. I think that other nations are more individual uh, persons regarding to that. And I think that I did something that is quite similar, that resembles something like that. So I think that this is important because uh, when you are by yourself, you begin to learn more about yourself and you begin to have your own opinions. And I think mm -hmm. that for myself, that I have a friend in each group, I had a lot of different perspectives to, you know, to evolve as a person. So yeah, I think that this is this is quite important for anyone because when you are in a group, you try to always have the same opinion as the group, yeah. so you don't get dropped up. No, no, for sure. Something that I I struggled a lot, especially in high school, was that I felt my opinions would a lot of times conflict with opinions of the group, especially regarding political topics and things that I was very passionate about, and and exactly. I never felt that I belonged in certain groups because of that, because I always kind of felt like, oh, I'm the outcast. I'm always the guy 
with a whole different set of opinions, right? Like concerning people's rights and, and left versus right, that kind of dynamic. Um, I think both of us grew up in, in a middle class sort of cultural and societal environment, right? Was that something you experienced as well? Yeah, uh, that's exactly what, what you said. As a middle-class uh, student or a middle-class person, as I am, normally what, what happens is that people from middle-class, they, they try to always get to the upper class, you know, like mm -hmm. not to the lowest class. So, sure. So you see some kind of competition between them. And so also uh, between the groups, you see that you see that the group wants to go further as individuals but they use the group to something else so normally uh, when you when it's regarding to politics you see that that a group tries to get just an opinion about politics in this regarding and then for that they try to defend their opinion too so they can grow their lives you know like as a group i don't know if i, I if i could yeah as well but yeah i'm 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 understanding this as like you don't want to say what you might be thinking because you want other people in that group to help you grow your career in the future. And, and you know that's not going to be something they're going to be open to accept if you have a different opinion that might hurt you in the future, right? Your your ambitions. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. And I, actually, I, I think that this was one of the attributes I could say or something like that, that I chose also my career in computer science, you know, hmm. because <laughs> it's funny because I know, I know that, that you did, uh, that you, are, you did the university uh, for law. You know? Yeah. And mm -hmm. I think that law, you have to be in groups. But in computer yeah. science, you're almost like a lonely wolf, you know, uh, mm -hmm. you can... At home, you can try to uh, create a software to program something and you can live by your own. So I think that the career in computer science is more solitary, if I can say like that. Mm -hmm. And other careers like engineering and lawyer or even medicine, you have to be in groups, you know. You, you always get uh, to be surrounded by people that will help you to get to some places, you know. Yeah, so and, I think yeah. I think that this was even a choice. Do you feel that? So, do you feel that influenced your your career choice or your choice as a student because you didn't want to deal with certain careers that it would involve groups and and badulating people, talking to them, asking them for favors, that kind of thing. So, computer science seemed an interesting field because of that. Or was it like, oh, I always like computer science, or always thought about it, but and this was a plus factor in it. Yeah, I think it was a plus factor. I, okay. I, I had I had this kind of influence for my career in computer science to, to be solitary and uh, like yeah. an only wolf. Mm -hmm. But also an influence to uh, have more flexibility in my choices in the in the job, you know, in the, okay. the job market. So I Got think you. that this is quite a influence as well. And, and Andrew, going back to something you mentioned, because I think it's very interesting. A lot of people, especially in the U.S., they, they might know about this. But can you tell us a little bit more about what it what does it mean to go to a public versus a private university in Brazil? Like, what is the overall process? And why was that such a big deal that your father gifted you a trip to a different country? Yeah, so uh, this is a big deal here because, I mean, when my father saw that I passed to a public school, that... Uh, you have to pass. You have to pass through an exam to enter. So it is a quite hard exam. 
So when my father saw that I passed and he acknowledged uh, my my hard work to to it, he he gifted me with a with a travel. Not this not one travel that was to New Zealand, but also to Canada. The uh, in 2012 when I was like one year in the university. And Andrew, I, I think you're forgetting the most important detail. P public universities are free, right? Like you don't have to pay anything, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it was, it was almost like uh, natural to me to say yeah. that, that, you know. But yeah, so <laughs> yeah. Public universities are free, so th this is a very, uh, very good uh, choice if you if you can, you know, like you can yeah. save a lot of money. Because I've been living in the U.S. for the past four years, and um, you have state universities, you have private universities, you have different different types of universities. Here's quite interesting. Sometimes you have city city um, universities, but all of them you have to pay, and it's usually a lot of money. And you know, talking with some American colleagues and telling them that, hey, in Brazil, if you studied really really hard, you know, the the odds are stacked against you. There are only very few selected spots for people to join, but you can pretty much study your way into college and have college for free, right? Like a lot of people get shocked by that. They're like, wait, you're telling me that if I'm a good student, I, I didn't need to pay $180,000, $120,000 for my, for my college degree, right? And so um, I think this would be a very interesting fact for, for our American listeners who, yeah, who and, you know. And, and, I, and I think I can say something more about that. I, I lived for two years in, in Switzerland. Uh, mm -hmm. in Geneva, and so there is. Uh, I think it's the middle way between Brazil and U.S. Let me mm. say because they have private universities, but uh, the most common there is public universities as well. But actually, in the public universities, you pay a tax for them, so it's your okay. tax plus another tax. But it's not so expensive as a private university in the U.S. You know, like yeah. if someone wants to enter into an Ivy League, I don't know how much you pay, but I think. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. A lot of yeah, money. yeah. And Andrew, while while we're talking about Switzerland, what made you decide to move to Switzerland? Yeah, so uh, that was a funny thing that happened in my life because I was the second year in my in my degree, degree of science in my university. I, I had to do four years, but my father had to do some work in Switzerland. So he he told me, uh, "Can you go there for me and do? I think that you have the." Uh, capabilities to go there and, and do this work and so I, I just got on a plane you know and I stayed there like for two two weeks or something like that and then what happens is that I like the Switzerland uh, a lot I tried to study to enter a university in Switzerland but I mm -hmm. but the process is quite hard for that okay uh, the problem is that in Switzerland uh, for this specific university I don't know for the others but you have like 20% of the seats uh, on, the, on this class yeah. uh, reserved just for the immigrants, you know? So, oh, really? Wow. Yeah, so, and computer science in this, in this class was, like, really hard to get in. Mm. So, it was just four seats because wow. they had, like, just 20 seats for that uh, specific class. So And you, you couldn't compete that, with the other seats? You, you could only compete among the four seats? Yeah, exactly. And oh, wow. Like, yeah, the ratio was like a thousand people, uh, almost like that for uh, four seats. So wow! <laughs> so it was quite hard, and I and my position on, on, 
his exam was uh, I, I was six on the exam, you know. So it was yeah. just two seats for for entering. But yeah, I couldn't. And how how old were you when you went to Switzerland? Yeah, so I was I yeah I was twenty years old. Okay. And I came back with twenty two years old. So. Imagine that I had like uh, normally I don't know if in the U.S. you have that, but like Europe is more is more common to have a sabbatic year. Mm, That's mm-hmm. the word as well for yeah, yeah. for English. So I uh, I can say that I had like two years of sabbatic year <laughs> like that. That's funny. So no, that's funny. Yeah. yeah. And so I came back and, and it was a hard way to go to the end of my university because I spent two years trying to do something that didn't work. And then it happens that I was contacted by a guy uh, that was working in an asset that I am now. So yeah. he contacted me to do an interview, you know, and I passed it to this interview. So it was quite, it was quite crazy because it was like just four months before uh, getting back to Brazil. And what, what was the interview about? Yeah, so it was about uh, entering this position for try to build a uh, financial system for this asset that I'm working now as a risk analyst. So I began as a operations assistant, but mostly mm-hmm. uh, I was trying to build uh, the financial system inside this asset. So uh, I could use all my knowledge that I had in computer science and also because it was an asset that had some global work to do so I had to know English and I could use my French as well a little bit in that so wow was, yeah so you know sounds uh, like fun yeah. but, but Andrew I want to I want to ask you something um, because for a person like me who does who, who knows very little about the financial market what does it mean that you'd build a financial system for an asset. I have no idea what that means. Can you share more about that? Yes, sure. I, I would try to be short on that. So yeah, please. <laughs> so so what happens is that imagine that uh, for a person, uh, you can you can build a financial system for anyone. So okay, like if you want to buy a stock, imagine that you want to buy a Tesla stock. So sure, you have a Tesla stock. So this is. This is quite easy to you to you know to, to try to follow what's happening with your stock if you have just one stock. But imagine that an asset you have like thirty stocks to to try to figure out what is happening. And between these stocks, uh, you try to do the contribution. You know, like what does this stock is attributing to my whole uh, asset? You know? Okay, so like a portfolio. Asset. Yeah, the portfolio. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So. When you build a financial system, you try to create a database that register all of your operations, all of the prices that you get in the day, and everything else. So it's quite a hard work to build this database. So interesting. When you work in an asset, yeah. So when you work in an asset, you have a lot of work on that, and also uh, a lot of other work that is more related to the uh, investor relations. You know. Mm-hmm. So we have to create a database for CRM. I think that the, that's the name, and yeah, and, you know, so mm-hmm. it's a lot of work to do on the financial market. So, so I and do you, do that. you like doing that? Yeah, yeah. I Is like it challenging? Like, what do you like about that? Yeah. So what I like about that is that you have a lot of data to use, and 
when you begin to evolve on that, you know, you, you begin to improve your skills on computer science, you begin to try to analyze this data, you know, and mm-hmm. try to make some reports on that. So it's a very flexible work uh, for someone in computer science because you use your skill in computer science and then you have to use some skills in mathematics. And, you know, it's a really big path to go through that. So there yeah. are a lot of possibilities after that. So, and that's why I'm like, uh, at this moment, I'm doing uh, data science business analytics in the University of London. So, oh, wow. <laughs> so, remotely. congratulations. So, that's yeah. super cool. Wow. That's awesome. And, and Andrew, on that topic, I had uh, one, of, one of our listeners ask the question to the Revealing Ourselves page on Instagram. And she asked to see if you could comment a little bit on what's happening in the U.S. stock market this week regarding Reddit, Wall Street bets, Trad, GameStop, and Wall Street. And, and for those of you who don't know, I'm going to provide a little bit of context. And Andrew, feel free to correct me if I say anything completely wrong. Sure. But my, my understanding of it, reading the news, is that there is an internet forum called Reddit. And specifically, a sub-forum of that is called Wall Street bets. And thousands, if not millions of users on that forum decided to buy stock of a U.S. company called GameStop that pretty much is a company that sells physical copies of video games and games. And and so a lot of investors in the beginning of the year, a lot of hedge fund investors, they betted that GameStop would go broke, right? Like they betted that their stock is going to fall. No one's buying physical video games anymore. Everything's downloadable now. So they thought GameStop stock which was already low was going to be even lower but then people on this thread they thought about hey let's create this artificial demand because the hedge fund investors are now going to have to buy even more than what they had before and the price is going to go up and this week alone the shares jumped from about 10 to 20 dollars a piece to over 500 dollars meaning that if you bought 10 shares for $10, right? Like you, you had $100. Now those $100 became potentially $5,000, depending on the, the time that you sold the shares. And Andrew, um, people love to, to ask your opinion on that and what exactly happened there. This is my impression reading the news and trying to familiarize myself a little bit better. Yeah, so so exactly. Uh, you, you explained very well uh, what happened. And I can say more about that, that uh, what happens is that the hedge funds, as you said, try to bet against GameStop. And so when you try to bet against the financial market, what happens is that you have to borrow some stocks from other people so you can bet against. Okay. So, and what happens is that when people begin to buy stocks from GameStop, and so instead of the stock going down, go goes up. So mm-hmm. what happens is that the guy that was on short, that's the term that they use, he was losing money. And uh, the worst is that he was on short squeeze. That's the term that they use. So short squeeze. Happens, okay. Yeah. So what happens is that that's the worst uh, business for a hedge fund, you know, when when, when it happens a uh, short squeeze. And, and Andrew, um, I think I think that was that was super valuable to to hear. Um, is this something that you expect is going to keep happening? Is this something you're following closely? Have you seen this before? Uh, no, actually, I haven't seen this before. I mean, like some hedge funds uh, before when the market was a little bit more, how can I say that? 
oversight wasn't so regulated yeah, oversight yeah regulated so the market wasn't so regulated before okay so some hedge funds actually did that with some stocks but it's easier to a hedge fund to do that because a hedge fund normally has a lot of money in yeah their yeah to do that and it's quite incredible to see a lot of people getting together you know like yeah a big you know like this kind of uh, i forget the group of fish you know yeah yeah so like a, a yeah, school of, of fish, fish going, yeah yeah school of fish going again going after the sharks so it's yeah almost like that no for sure for sure and and regarding the financial market and tying it back to your return to brazil so this was something that happened while you like shortly after you returned to brazil right um i definitely want to ask you what were your biggest experiences living in Switzerland and before that living in New Zealand and Canada? And how do you compare that to your old lifestyle in Brazil? I know it's a long uh, question, so if you want to break it yeah. down, we can do that as well. <laughs> yeah, Let's start with New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, I try to do chronologically. So sure. uh, in New Zealand, uh, so it was a big experience, as I said, because I didn't know so much about English. I maybe not even fluent now, but back then I was really, you know, like really hard for me to speak in English. Mm. And so in New Zealand, when I chose to go there uh, to get away from the Brazilians, I also wanted to do some sports that I love, you know. So, for example, I, I love to surf and in New Zealand, I, I wanted to experience uh, snowboard. So what what I did is that when I, uh, when I arrived, like, Two weeks after, I, I went with a friend that I made in the school, you know, like uh, uh, this friend that was a Swiss, uh, yeah. so it was a Swiss friend. He helped me to choose a uh, snowboard. And what I did is that I bought all the gear that was necessary to do snowboarding. And I yeah. got up in the mountain. I didn't do any lessons. So I just got the snowboard <laughs> on my feet and tried to go as much as possible in the hills. So uh, I did that for like two days. Uh -huh. like whole day you know like the yeah. whole weekend i tried to learn and i learned like that so wow it's quite crazy and so uh what happened is that new zealand for me was a place that uh i could improve my snowboard to the limits because almost every day i went to do snowboarding and Incredible. my english wow. quite an experience so wow. new zealand was that and also traveling around the south island which is amazing i mean like you have a, a possibility to go to New Zealand one day, you know, go. Because, yeah, I, d I definitely uh, want to go. It's, it's on my yeah, wish list for sure. It's an amazing place. I mean, like every step that you go, uh, there is a like snow mountain and then some uh, rain forest. You know, like it's so different from 100 kilometers from there on now. You, you see some different landscapes. So it's very, yeah. very interesting to go to New Zealand. And then I came back, I did my studies and I went to Canada for three months. So I went to Canada as well because I, I saw that my English was not as good, even though I improved a lot, but was not perfect to go speak professionally, you know, like yeah. this proficiency. So I went to Canada and I chose to go to Vancouver as well, like to go as far as I can. Vancouver has snowboard as well. So I tried to do the same thing that I did in New Zealand. So it was, it, had, it happened exactly as it happens in New Zealand. I, yeah. Uh, I got in a group of Brazilians and then a group of mm. Americans and, and you know like <laughs> when you get these Latin Americans together, it's yeah. hard to speak in English. Like mm. I learned more Spanish in 
Vancouver than me. <laughs> so yeah, I can see of, that. Yeah. Yeah. And then New and then Switzerland, like for two years, was uh, another experience, but really different from the previous two because in Switzerland I try I saw myself uh, evolving more. Uh, politically, uh, knowing more about the aspects of working, job, trying to get more out, out of my comfort zone because it was French, so mm -hmm. it was another language that I didn't know, so I had to learn uh, from zero. Wow! And you know, so in Switzerland has uh, you know the the place where ONU, ONU and OMS, so all this yeah UN ONU is UN yeah, yeah. UN sorry yeah. So the United Nations, so you see a lot of uh, people there that have more uh, political way of thinking. So yeah, yeah. all the time they try to see, and Sweden is a very good place to, to learn more about the assistentialism, you know, hmm, like, interesting. for example, yeah, so just to give a short example, in Switzerland, if you get unemployed, uh, they pay you for a whole year, so you can try wow, to a whole year? job. A whole yeah, year? a whole year. So wow. imagine that in Switzerland, you don't have, a, you know, like the low salary. It's not regulated. Okay. It's almost like $4,000. Like, like low, low salary, salary, you mean like minimum wage, right? There's no minimum, yeah, minimum wage. wage. Okay. Yeah, minimum wage. Sorry. That, that's the... It's okay. Term. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So imagine that it's $4,000 the minimum wage. They pay you this wage for the whole year if you are employed. <laughs> yeah. And so... And I, I think a lot of people are now thinking, oh, I'm going to move to Switzerland, right? Um, and and <laughs> yeah. the second thing they might be thinking is like, oh, why do people work there? Like, right? Like, what's the incentive for, for people to work? What can you tell exactly. us about that? Yeah, so uh, th this is a good uh, subject to us to go through because what you have to understand about Switzerland is that even though the minimum wage is 4000 the maximum wage almost like uh, you do the mean, the maximum wage will be around uh, I don't know like fifteen thousand dollars. So the gap between those wages are very low compared to other countries. So okay. uh, a person that that does a job that maybe you don't consider as a hard work job, you know, like just cleaning the street, for example, a high paying uh, job, yeah, high paid job, yeah. yeah. So he earns like four thousand dollars, and then. Uh, very good doctor like a surgeon or a neurosurgeon or something like that you will earn like fifteen thousand dollars so when you have this kind of situation this kind of uh you know uh trying uh this kind of how can i say that dynamic like social dynamic, dynamic. yeah social dynamic what happens is that everyone is having a good life but not mm -hmm. everyone is having luxury Okay. So what I have to think about more is that uh, would you would you change would you slap I, I would say to have luxury and then you have a like a good life and everyone has a good life or you have luxury and some people will have like full life so yeah so I think that the exchange is more about that so Switzerland is good for that so you can be very well. Uh, you have like a good existence, social existence so yeah. that for and unemployment. And then after one year that you are unemployed, uh, unemployed uh, you have more, you can stay like uh, almost forever, I would say, with a social assistant for the government. So what they, mm. do, they do is that you have a social assistant that they will uh, 
uh, take care of your money. And they will try to put you on some classes so you yeah. can improve your career on that. Wow. And you try to find another job. So it's very well done there for that, you know, for exactly so, this purpose. So why, why people, you know, because I, I hear a lot of people saying, oh, if the government provides, you know, minimum wage or like child pension or like give some assistance right like government assistance it stimulates people to not work right like that's a very common argument in the u.s and yeah. brazil um wh what were the discussions that you had there about this like why do people there said you know this does not make people not want to work what did they tell you what happens that you are in a position that you are so comfortable uh about the the health about your the health of your parents the health yeah of the people around you that you say okay now i have time i have money i have everything else to to improve more on my career so okay i earn four thousand but i live like far away from the city you know i have what happens is that people try to get better when they are more comfortable with some uh essential things in life you know yeah and the the thing is that uh, you will not try to get a luxury thing, but you know, to be surrounded by luxury accessories, but yeah, you will try to get the best of you, you know, and you have yeah. more time to prove yourself. So, I think that's the main reason. No, for sure. And, and, and Andrew, um, I, I would love to continue speaking for a whole hour with you about this. Maybe we yeah, can even sure. do a part two at some point, but um, very quickly before we move on to our, our um, next topics and i'll also ask you to to be a little bit short on that because of time what was your favorite memory of switzerland and the best chocolate brand that you found there <laughs> and well, wow this uh, this is a question from our, our listeners be, yeah yeah and the answers are going to be very specific because the best chocolate brand was a chocolate brand that was made by you know like uh, I would say like a chocolate a chocolatier yeah they say artisan you know yeah that I, okay that I ate uh, it was near Zermatt which is a famous place I think okay. that everyone knows Zermatt because of the mountain that is in the Toblerone chocolates mm, okay. so that's Zermatt uh, that that's the place where the mountain that is Matterhorn is that is Zermatt. okay and I ate the the best chocolate in my life. <laughs> very small halls there. Okay. And the best thing in Switzerland, I think like overall, I mean like this is the best thing that you can have in any country is the uh, train system. I mean like mm. there you can go from Geneva to Zurich in like four or five hours by train. And then you can go to any part of the country by train. So you are really independent of cars there. And the train is magnetic. I mean, like, it's very well cleaned. Nice, nice. So I think that this is the best thing in Switzerland, for sure. Okay. All right, so moving on to our, our next segment. Um, Andrew, what would you consider is your biggest gift? Uh, I think that my biggest gift, I think I was something that I spoke from the whole conversation that I had, yeah. uh, is to be very calm, when I'm out of my comfort zone, you know. Okay. Uh, I learned I learned that as well with surf. I think that maybe you, Marcel, I think that you have this as well. If if you if you think very well, that normally when we surf, uh, we have this kind of big waves that comes to us sometimes where yeah. when we are in the lineup, you know. Yeah. So and if you try, if you feel like if you panic on on that, 
mm-hmm. we're going to get drawn or something else. And yeah. if you stay calm and just wait for the waves to pass, you're going to be in the same exact spot that you were before. Mm-hmm. You are like okay with that, you know, it's just a big wave, you have to stay calm. You cannot go further, you cannot like paddle to pass it, you cannot go back. Yeah. Stay calm with that. So I think that my biggest gift is that. Yeah, I think we can we can join the two last sections, the gift and the passion, and, and talk about this because I think both of our passions about surfing, right? So, yeah, um, I really I really like your metaphor. Um, I particularly, especially when I was young, when I was around 15, 16 years old, like I remember at some point I started counting how many times I felt like I almost drowned, or I had a yeah. very I was in a very bad situation, right? For example, you're in the middle of the ocean. The waves are super big. Not in the middle of the ocean, but like you're far from shore. The waves are huge. And then your your leash, which is the string that connects the board to, to yourself, snaps, right? Like, and now you're in the middle of the yeah. waves without a board, right? Like, and the waves are huge. And you're, you're you know, 15-year-old, 14-year-old. So, it can, can be very um, intense. And I think after I counted, you know, 12 or 15 times that I felt that I had almost drowned or died or, you know, some, some bad experience. I stopped counting, but I think your, your advice about relaxing is very valid, right? Because I I see a lot of people that struggle a lot getting out of their comfort zone. Right. And and I consider both of us, like we like doing that because it's something fun. It's something challenging, something different. But uh, what would you say for people that maybe struggle a little bit more than, than you and me when it comes to getting out of the comfort zone? Because I see a lot of people, they want to do that, but they don't know how. They they feel that panic yeah. coming very soon, right? Yeah, so I think that the first thing is that you have to know yourself very well. I think that's the okay. like the main like the main thing that you have to do. Because, for example, even in these situations that we are in the lineup, I will go through this metaphor. Sure. Uh, you know that Okay, you, you maybe you don't you don't know how to swim very well. Maybe you don't know how to paddle, but you know that okay, you, you can stay as long as you can. If you were like in the ocean with no waves, you could go back to the shore, you know. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. any other uh, situations that you are out of your comfort zone, you have just to know yourself and know and try to imagine what would you do if you were in a comfort zone in that position. Hmm. So I don't know if it. I, I know that's like it's quite easy to say than to do. Yeah. But it's quite a, a, an exercise that you do, and I think that surf really uh, has helped me to learn more about that. And so I think that is, is more all about that. And if you go to this metaphor with surf, I know that if you are in this position that you have the wave come to you, you know that you have the currents that will try to help you to go out of the impact zone. Yeah. I think that in life, it happens almost the same thing. Maybe sometimes you try to pass an exam and you try like two, three times. And, you know, it's like to try to paddle to a wave that is too big. So yeah. You have to try to learn what is happening that you are not that you are not passing through this exam. And maybe you have to do something else to go around. It, you know? So I think that's more or less this. I don't know if I could playing very well but I think yeah the main, yeah you know? I, I i think i understood I, I think i understood very well what you said about you know like if, if it's your first time surfing right like can you go to a, 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 a to the ocean in a day that the waves are very big 
there's a 100% chance you're going to have a bad experience and you might feel like, yeah. oh, I suck at this, right? Like, the surfing is not for me, right? Like, and you can apply that to so many other things in life, whether you're trying to take an exam, or you're trying to get married, right? Like, or, or have a big financial decision, which is how much are you putting yourself in a position that you're going to succeed versus, you know, going there without the proper experience, getting hit by reality and then thinking that you are the problem yeah. or you're not skilled enough, right? Exactly. And sometimes it's exactly this that you said. And sometimes you just have to stay calm, you know, mm-hmm. like try to know yourself a little bit more and try to wait for the things to pass. It's not like that you're going to wait 10 years, you know, sometimes it's just like you have just to take a week off, you know? Yeah. And relax because sometimes people do that, you know, like they fail an exam and they say, okay, I will start to study now to the next exam. And you, you just have some sense in life to, you know, like, okay, take a week off, you know, reconnect yeah. to your energy yeah. and try to get out of it. For sure. And Andrew, one, one last question um, so we can conclude our podcast conversation, which I strongly believe I'm going to be putting a two-part, um, first first time two-part episode because I think we had a lot yeah. of fun, <laughs> fun, interesting conversations here. Um, last question. What would you say to someone that never surfed in their life to try to, you know, maybe have them go for their first run whether they live in a city that that has an ocean with waves and they could do that or maybe they're going to travel somewhere and try to learn on on that place what would you say to them yeah so the first thing that i would say is not to get on a board <laughs> this is quite strange because sometimes uh people will say wait but you want me to surf or not but uh actually the first thing that i have to do if you want to surf uh i for me it, it happens like that and and i think it's a really good way to do it is just going to the ocean and try to do body surfing i mean like okay. the top board you know just the body surfing try to get some uh things in your feet and go do it because then you're going to really learn uh how the ocean moves i think mm-hmm. that the, the thing that is more important in surf is that you have to connect with ocean i think that's like maybe theoretical is a little bit too much theoretical to say this but you have to connect to the ocean. You have to understand what the ocean does yeah, first. And then I agree. you go to a board. And when you go to the board, you don't try to, you know, just stand in the first wave. Just try to, like, the first, like, day, just try to pedal back and forth and try to yeah. get your balance in the board, you know? Uh, this is the, like, this is the step-by-step. And then when you have the equilibrium and you know the ocean, then you can try to go to the wave, you know. Just yeah, don't try to yeah. go to the wave in the first place. No, absolutely. Yeah, my my personally, my biggest advice is go with someone that knows how to surf well, or book a class if you don't have the time to try by yourself every day. Like I, I strongly advise people doing classes because I think you can progress in one week. What would you progress in six months by yourself? And yeah. and so. A lot of people might not have the time to do that, especially if they live in places where there there's there are no waves. But if you do have the opportunity, um, I I love this sport. I think Andrew and I share the same passion here, so I strongly recommend um, everyone that is listening to try it at some point in their lives. And Andrew, with that, I I really want to thank you for all your insights, all your amazing um, stories. I I really like talking with you today, and definitely want to see if you have anything else you'd like to share with our audience before we finish. No, uh, for me, it was a pleasure to be here and to 
in this podcast. I thank you so much, Marcel. It was good to, to have this conversation and to try to reveal everything that I have in my mind. So yeah. it was a really good podcast for it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Andrew. You have a fantastic day, my friend. You too. And that was our episode three. I hope you guys like it. And if you did, please don't forget to subscribe and follow our Instagram and Spotify pages, Revealing Ourselves. Thank you so much. My name is Marcel Reyes and I hope you have a great day.